Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you've tuned in for Pete Mitchell and his fat friend. Oh. Oh. (laughs) I told Pete, I can't come to Luke's birthday party today because then everyone would be like, who's Pete's fat friend? What in the world is that? What was that noise? I have a bad tummy. Sorry. Uh, They're reframing a doorway. There's nothing like building uh, a a two-story extension. And then finding out that your uh, ADU has the wrong size doorway, you know, after everything's been built and it has to be redone. Your ADU? I don't even know what that is. An additional dwelling unit, my friend. We call that a mother-in-law's flat in layman's terms. Well, I got to tell you, I really love that sound. And I I actually do. I've been saving this story all week. I've ignored all my other podcasts to share... Because we're special. I was your first. It's it, it's your first love. You, your you, first you were my first. You were my first. There's no doubt. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's amazing that after our uh, connection that you ever went on to do another podcast again. Well, it's never been the same. I can tell you that. It's never been the same. <laughs> and I know that's a good thing. So uh, I get this email last week. Been Literally been waiting all week to tell this story. I get this email last week from uh, a real estate agent. Uh, obviously, she needs help with marketing. She must be a client, right? Because that's how people get my email and they ask questions and whatnot. And so she asks whatever her question is. And then I get the PS. Nice muscles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And of course, I had to make sure Jamie knew that one. Hey, look at that, honey. These women, they think I got some nice muscles. Woo-hoo. 
And and I hope your response was, I'm married. No, my response was, thanks. <laughs> so, like, talking about tattoos is a thing, I guess. So, Andrew told me, hey, next time a girl comments on your tattoos, don't say anything. Just say, thank you. In conversation, right there. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's good. Well, I was actually thinking about the tattoo. Because to me, it's like, oh, do you know G.I. Joe? You know, like innocently just like, oh, do you, you know, no, no, nobody knows it. Just like them. Well, thank you. That is is the etiquette as a married man. You say thank you and you move on. Actually, I think. These are new. I don't know. My, my my actual response to the gal was, you know, I answered her question and then I did a PS. I go, PS, LOL, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but, you but, should have said, please don't make comments about my physical appearance. It makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, except I'm doing like, you know, shots like this on Instagram. I mean, come on, come on. Oh, uh, I don't know where you would have gotten that from, that idea that I was into my body or anything so um so i was thinking about not on instagram that's why i'm not on instagram i was thinking about tattoos because of your tattoo you know how we were talking that i'd like to get the star wars symbol where you got your gi joe symbol but i'm too afraid that they're going to keep ruining star wars and then i'm going to be ashamed of the tattoo yeah but you can celebrate classic vintage star wars and still be cool but it hit me what i could get I could get the Thundercats symbol. And then I remembered, I don't like cats, so it doesn't work for me. But otherwise, oh, I think that'd be a cool symbol. you got my next one. You just gave me the idea for the Thundercats. Oh. Right. Right. Na-na-na-na-na. Right there. That would be so cool. Yeah, man. That'd be a throwback to our childhood for sure. You know, so it's so funny you say this because uh, I think you you should get schnarf. <laughs> It's like like a portrait of Snarf. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Lionel. You know, can you imagine if you had like talking tattoos, if they had technology where you could touch them and they go, oh, Snarf, Snarf, Lionel, that's a bad idea. That'd be great. Jeez, that would be funny. Sorry about my bad tummy in the background there. Yeah, that's that's some tummy you got there. Tuesday taco night still paying out. I'm just saying. And it's Thursday. And it's Thursday. So, uh, yeah, man. So uh, Thundercats would be rad, but you know, on Thunder, but I don't like cats. That's literally the reason I don't like cats. And I'm like, uh, I can't but do you it like Thundercats. So they're not quite cats, right? They're cats. That was the whole cats, thing. No, they were they, cats. They, they are, but they're not cats. So you can like Thundercats, but not like cats. I'm allergic to cats. So I just, I kind of think it's just, I shouldn't go there. I, I just, I, but just I do think, think it'd be a cool tattoo. Don't you think that'd be a cool tattoo? Oh my gosh. Yes. The Eye of Thundera right there. Boom. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, man. Okay, so there are a few cartoons where I have things memorized. Now, I'm only on two cups of coffee, but the other day I was uh, – somebody mentioned He-Man, and I just rattled off like, hi, I'm Adam, Prince of Attorney, which, you know, I know that whole monologue by heart. But uh, ever-living forces of evil. Have you seen that T-shirt? Wait, no, I got to. I got to do it. Sorry. Transform this decayed body into the form of Mumra, the ever living. Right? Remember that? All the bandages fly off, and he's a big giant. I don't even know what he is when Mumra turns. Well, he's Mumra. He goes. He goes beast mode. He's like beast mode Mumra. I don't even know what he is though. What animal is he? Because 
Pan- Pantera, they kind of gave that one away, right? Um, or is it Panthro? I don't remember. You got Lionel, who's a lion. Right. Panthro, who's a panther. They're cats. The, the girl one's a cheetah. I don't know what the like eerie twin kids are. I don't know what they are. And then uh, they had weird stuff on that. Like they had the bear bots. Remember that? No, the bear bots. Yeah, they had like if you thought the Ewoks are bad, they had these old like half robot, half teddy bear things jamming around. Those are pretty bad. Interesting. I kind of don't remember that. Yeah, you probably blocked it out. That was good. It was like the Star Wars Christmas special. We don't really talk about it. No. Oh man, maybe and that's then the what tiger I should get. one. The tiger guy was cool. Remember him? I don't even remember his name, but there was a tiger one, and didn't he? Um, he had the whip, right, with the three exploding balls on the end of it. I I don't. And think the, I che- can. the cheetah girl. I, don't, don't go there. The cheetah had the. Uh, the the pole Lionel of course had it wasn't just his sword that was cool it was the glove that went with the sword remember the talon glove oh yeah dude that was oh yeah. yeah and we didn't know why he had that it was just they went together and you're like he would put that thing on you'd be like oh you know it was so rad maybe that's what the tattoo should be it should be the glove over the I whole thought thing. about that I just I didn't <laughs> want to say it you should get the um, the Infinity Gauntlet tattooed on you with like <sighs> stones. Yeah, you I don't see, like what I, someone's I, doing. You just go. I have too many problems with <laughs> just point to the stones. No, you just press it. Like, okay, I'm reviewing time. That's too stupid. Um, this one is I'm bending reality. Your head's exploding right now. This one, I mean, wouldn't that be great? Right, that, I have power over you. You don't know, but I power the problem. Over you. The problem for me, I, I got serious problems with the whole movie, the whole Avengers Infinity War movie, like. Why didn't he just double the amount of resources in the universe? I know you said that before, and that's a really good point. Like, why do you got to kill everybody? What what is the first place your mind goes is I got to kill half the universe. I think he, so my understanding of his supervillain mind is that he didn't think the universe was broken. He felt people were. So he wanted to. That's not what he said. He said there wasn't enough resources. He said that many a time. Yeah, he did. You're right. Yeah. But maybe the universe couldn't hold more resources. Maybe the universe was maxed out on resources. What do you think of uh, the Lucas cut of The Rise of Skywalker? There's a Lucas cut. George Lucas cut? There's a George Lucas cut. It's, It's real. It's been verified. He was brought in to help. Oh. And they didn't go with it. They went with, you know, J.J. Abrams thing. And so and I'm like, yeah, but dude, this well, is J.J. would have been a part of it because J.J. did not have control. No, you're right. You're, you're right. You're right. But I'm just saying they decided not to go with his cut. And I'm thinking, yeah, but he's the guy who gave us the Phantom Menace. So I don't I, I can't I can't just say the Lucas cut would be the way to go. When they when they on the first one, when they gave JJ free reign to do what he wanted before Ryan Johnson came and screwed it all up, um, JJ was killing it. That first Force Awakens is so good. Yeah, it was I a good f- one. I it wasn't great. It wasn't great. It. The reason why I say it wasn't great is you look at how long did it take Luke Skywalker, the best Jedi that ever lived, to learn how to do anything, and then Ray's doing it in a fight against Kylo Ren on like the first time she's picked up a lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, but think ah. about that with Luke, though, right? Like Luke, 
he trains briefly with Yoda and goes off and fights Vader. And okay, they say you're not ready, and she's clearly not ready at the end of Force Awakens. All but he she does trained. is fight Kylo. She didn't even train. Right. Like, remember I, how long it took him when he was hanging in Hoth upside down and he had to do the the mine, you know, yeah, to, goes, get, to get the, yeah. And I'm she's doing it right away. The yeah. freaking kid is yeah. like sweeping out the, the, the stalls and he's like, you know, I'm like, dude, that's not, that doesn't fit with Star yeah, Wars. Well, and that's what I was going to say is Force Awakened. She was force sensitive all her life, which is how she was flying and doing all this cool, like she was doing cool stuff, which we get from the originals, like that, that Luke's a really good pilot. Anakin is a really good pilot because they have this force sensitivity. Um, but with Ray, I, I was cool with the fact that she was very powerful because all she did was she fought Kylo and she, she doesn't win. It's kind of like Rocky, but she she doesn't die. And so, uh, but then when Ryan Johnson came in, I agree, he wrecked it. Right. And JJ, you know, because they're the, Kathleen Kennedy is, I need a strong woman. Everything about Disney became strong women, which Star Wars has always had. And I'm all for strong women. Like, I still don't get why everyone got so ticked off about Miss Marvel. Um, you know, that, Why were that they was, upset about Miss Marvel? Oh, it was so controversial. Oh, they're trying to make it a girl now. They're girlifying. Was it, was it not a girl before? I mean, I never. She's always been a girl. Like it was just, it was just sexism, dude. Like people were just being ridiculous. And you know, we've always had girl characters in Star Wars. Like Princess Leia was rad. That was a strong woman, and Ray was a strong woman. But to make her, like you said, and I give you your point to make her as powerful as the emperor. And there's no way the original storyline was she was going to be Palpatine's daughter. That's going to come out. They're so secretive, but that was never the storyline. They did say, I've got a guy that I watch on YouTube. He called everything before it happened. She's Palpatine's called it all guy named Mike zero. And at first I thought he was a hack. I'm like, Oh, this guy, he's making all this crap up. Everything he said. And he kept saying, you know, I have a source at Disney. At LucasArts, I have a source and, you know, don't watch this if you don't want to know. But um, but he has repeatedly said this was not the storyline. Of course, we know the post-production hell that it went through. But um, again, you and I should so do a Star Wars podcast. Not even funny. I don't know. I think the problem with us doing a Star Wars podcast is you. You truly are a fan. Like, I love the stuff, but you're like, no, 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 that's not canon. Let me tell you what canon is. I read hey. this in a comic 15 years ago. It was yeah, on page true. three. It was second paragraph down. I'm like, oh, okay. yes, sir. Yes, sir. But, you know, you're equally a fan. It, it just, I'm a fan. You're a different, no you're a different type of fan. Like, there's different types of fans. That's what's rad is you're the guy that's like, hey, just the movies. Like, uh, Dave Thompson, new breed guy up in uh, Oregon. In Oregon he uh, he will only watch the original three. He's never seen. He's like, nope, nope. I'm not watching any of the others. I'm 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 good with the first three. I don't want to see anything else. Mm. And so he's never seen the other ones. Now you could argue he is a true fan, right? He's just a different type of fan. You know, that's hardcore, dude. You don't even want to see. Nope, don't even want to see it. You 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 don't ruin the Star Wars trilogy. I don't want to know. You yeah. guys are all on drugs. So. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, it's Luke's birthday today. He turns nine. Not Luke Skywalker, but Pete's son. Well, I think it's funny that uh, Charlie Marquez was like, 
I thought you named Luke after Luke in the Bible. And then I found out it's Luke after Luke Skywalker. Oh, I knew the second that came out on the podcast. Did it? And I was like, dude, you're my hero. We, we, we freaked out over it. I knew right away. And then you're like, no, Peyton, it's the Bible. Uh Oh, Oh, no, I really, really wanted to name Mackenzie Leia. Like I wanted Leia I know, so we bad. Had that talk. Dude, Jamie your whole life me. has been on this podcast. It really know. has. Yeah. If people want to know about Pete Mitchell, listen to the Church Planner podcast. What is it? Now seven and a half years? Because nobody wants to know about Pete Mitchell. I mean, come on. Hey, come on, guys! Right here, I want to hear some nice muscles. You want to see what I got here going on? I always do this to Jamie. I'm like. Uh, which way to the weight room? <laughs> Remember that in Tommy Boy? Oh, that was a good movie. That was a good movie. Yeah. That was a good movie. So what do you got going on this week? But you know, I realized, hey, by the way, I don't look at the comments because I'm not usually in our um, our live feed when this is happening. So I'm seeing all these comments. Here, oh, Star like, Wars X-Men special <laughs> still better than The Last Jedi. Oh, and... <laughs> That's awesome. So, so are, is this? Um, I think I think I got. An, are we four oh two right now? Are we? Yeah. What? Okay. So oh, I'm going on there. Yes. I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna mute. Hey, by the way, uh, I changed my sound. Hold on. Yesterday, some goes. Well, I want to hear your computer. So I changed my sound. Hold on. So I'm seeing all these comments. Andre says purist. I agree with Andre. Are you still there? Did we lose you? No, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. So I just want to see the uh, the comments because I went in and there's all these comments like, yeah, that's right. Amen. And I'm like, I have no idea what people are saying right now. <laughs> well, I do put it up on three pages. So those comments could be anywhere at this point. Right. I'm right. just looking at them on uh, the Church Planner Magazine Facebook I'm page. I'm watching it. I'm watching it. So that way I can I can comment if a chatty chat comes up. So, all right, cool. Should we actually get into our topic? Uh, we just might. Uh, it's not a bad idea. It's not a horrible idea. Wow, it's early for you, Pete. It is, but I kind of feel like I've said everything I wanted to say. All right. Well, let me... Uh, we do have a, a giant water slide coming to the house today for Luke's birthday. So that should that, that should entice you to drive up here. It's hot nice. out. Yeah, dude, it's it's all kinds of hot. This is the I don't move kind of hot. Like I ain't moving in that, you know. Yeah, no. This morning's workout was horrible. Oh so yeah, because you're working hot. out in the back, huh? Yeah, and it hasn't been that bad until this week, and it's miserable this week. And then you know it's Luke's birthday, so I got like halfway through it, and both the kids are running outside. Come on, Dad, we want open presents. I'm like, you know, I can't be the dad that's like, no, wait another half hour. That's funny. So it's funny. I don't know if I'll finish it. Maybe I'll finish it later tonight. But if I do, well, it's gonna be stinking hot. I'm gonna read um, a quote by to get get us started off. I'm gonna read a quote by N.T. Wright. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, go ahead. I know what you're gonna do. It's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. <laughs> we need some new ones, man. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Church Better Podcast. It's not the, the podcast, podcast that planners need or deserve. It's a it's the podcast they need. Nah, I screwed it up. Eh, whatever, not Batman. 
So, uh, anyways, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote N.T. Wright now. It's interesting. My my relationship with N.T. Wright. Funny enough, I I don't have one, but my uh, my editor is um, his editor as well. So last time I met him, I'm like, oh, what have you been doing? He's like, oh, I just came from uh, from a meeting with N.T. Wright, and I'm like, oh, what's that? The toast is cold. All right, uh, internet. The toast is cold. All right, babe, I'm on a podcast. That's cool. So, um, anyways, uh, but you know, first time when I was doing my MA in theology, I did my, uh, paper on a guy named Daniel Peyton Fuller, who was John Piper's mentor. Um, and the guy, you know, he, he was where Piper got his Christian hedonism. Most of Piper's mm-hmm. writings are about that. Um, you know, to glorify God and enjoy him forever that we're meant to enjoy God. We best glorify God by enjoying him. Well, that all came from his professor at Fuller Seminary, son of the founder, Charles Fuller, um, Daniel Payton Fuller, actually spelled the wrong way, um, D.P. Fuller. And um, D.P. Fuller was, he had some amazing theology, which obviously if John Piper's entire trajectory and John Piper would say the guy who influenced me the most was D.P. Fuller, but D.P. Fuller started to go very liberal. And John Piper over the years had to distance himself from D.P. Fuller as that started becoming more and more prevalent. Well, so when I was doing my paper on this, that's when I came across N.T. Wright, who, um, you know, he was arguing for some of the new perspective of Paul. Now, uh, N.T. Wright's evangelical uh, new perspective of Paul is, is um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I am such a dyed-in-the-wool atonement um, the blood of Christ, propitiation. Yeah, I know I'm going super theological right now, but it was hard for me to read anything by N.T. Wright, right? Like it was hard for me to accept anything he wrote because he was given more credence to the new perspective on Paul argument than than I think I'm I'm ready to give. Now there might be elements on new perspective, but it, you to me you cannot undermine the um, traditional view of the atonement. You just can't do it. But that said. Um, N.T. Wright made a statement, particularly in, in regards to this, but, um, but I, I apply this to um, all things that we read about the New Testament. Here's this quote. I really like it. He says, for too long, we've read scripture with 19th century eyes and 16th century questions. It's time we get back to reading with first century eyes and 21st century questions. So what he's saying is, you know, we've read scripture 19th from the Victorian period, you know, that that was the boom and preaching Spurgeon, all those guys. And we're asking reformation questions. He's saying we need to ask the questions of today, because the answers from the first century. And that, that really is kind of my entire um, ministry. Uh, I would say if, if I've contributed one thing to the body on a very small level, um, it's that everything that I'm going to say is probably going to go back to the first century in some way. Um, just because that, that's our template. That's our model. So, you know, going back, reviving the discussion that we've been having over the last few weeks um, about Paul's church planning. We asked the question last week, how did Paul learn to church plant? He was the first, right? Jerusalem had been planted, then Antioch happened. But for the existence of someone who is a serial church planter, Paul was the first. So the first guy to do it multiple, multiple times was Paul. 
And so when he says, I laid that foundation like a wise and expert builder, Paul's telling us, look, I, I apprenticed, I learned, and then I became a master. So like today on my house, I've got um, the foreman or the, the, the general contractor. He's the boss. He's a guy that's been in it for like 40 years. <clears throat> then we got the young kid who's starting out. And, um, even today, like we were looking, he's moving this, this doorpost, you know, he's got to make the door wider and we were looking at it together and I go, you sure you don't want to call your boss about that and talk to him about, you know, this thing and that thing, because the inspectors are going to come and yada, yada. And that, that, that's just how it is, right? A, a younger church planner is not going to know, I mean, he might know a lot and he might, the Holy spirit might be revealing things to a planner that, you know, but, but at the same time, there's a lot to be said for the experience of Paul. And that's what Paul's telling the Corinthians. By that time, he's on a second missionary journey. It was not his first rodeo. And that catches us up to where we were last week. And last week, what I did is I said, well, first off, Paul looked to the Old Testament. Paul didn't divorce the Old and New Testament. He saw the New Testament as a fulfillment of the Old. So when Paul is planting, he was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. Even planting amongst the Gentiles, he extrapolates all these principles from the Old Testament. We used the, the argument last week that Paul says, hey, when it comes to paying ministers and looking after them, don't muzzle the ox away, treads again. He quotes from Deuteronomy. Because to Paul, Deuteronomy is kind of saying, um, you know, uh, Paul says, is it just oxen that Paul's concerned about or God's concerned about? No, he's concerned about us too. So hold on one sec. Are you hoping that they don't bang as much or something? Sorry, my daughter brought me toast. So, um, is it cold? <laughs> I'm I'm laughing because I see Austin Mathis says, "Did Paul not church zero? <laughs> That's funny. Is that ready church zeros and ready player one? Because I'll take it as that. But Paul didn't have much of the New Testament. That is correct. So we had to use the, uh, uh, oh, I guess you were saying, did Paul not read Church Zero? I got you. I got you. So, <clears throat> so Paul would have had the Old Testament. We were just kind of talking about, you know, he knew the mandate was the same. The mission was the same. If you missed last week, definitely go check that out because I think you're going to see kind of a where Paul got his mission theology from. That's, that's really the, the summary of last week. But also, um, Paul also had a model of community um, based on God's idea of his people, right? God created a people. So Paul knew that a church was this identity, this, this people brought out from, kind of like the Jews. You know, they were drawn out. Moses means drawn out. The people of God were drawn out and got their identity as a nation by Moses, one who's drawn out, draws them out. And so Paul knew that wherever we're at, you know, he, he had the idea that we were the di diaspora in the Gentile world. We've been drawn out. And so he was part of these Jewish ghettos. So Paul knew I am going to do much of the same with the church. The difference is, whereas the Jews were not proselytizing by nature, um, they were more about preserving their identity, preserving their culture, preserving the customs of the fathers. Paul's like, I'm going to turn that around. I'm going to create a community that's about the opposite. It's about spreading. It's about um, 
influencing. It's about, so he turns the directional arrow from being inward to outward. So, um, but the other thing that he had is he had um, the gospel blueprint. So if, if Paul's like, I was a wise and master builder, it's ironic that all this hammering's going on. Um, is it really loud to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty loud. But Paul had, Paul had Christ who said, I will build my church. So I just keep go, thinking, it's Taco Tuesday. It's Taco Tuesday coming back to haunt us. My daughter made me toast and just brought it up to me, so I got to eat it. So don't muzzle the ox while he's treading the grain, baby. That's all I'm saying. Is it toast God's concerned about? Yes, it is. So, so when Jesus said, look, I will build my church upon upon this rock. I'll build my church. Um, even though people are like, oh, church in the building. Jesus uses the very language that Paul's using. So when Paul says, I like a wise and master builder, um, laid a foundation, Paul's using, he's actually borrowing uh, the imagery that he got from Jesus. And I think sometimes we don't make these distinctions and connections that imagine you're the apostle Paul. You have given your entire life to studying the traditions and precepts of the father. You study the law. That is like your deal, right? In and out. Judaism, you eat, sleep, breathe it. And you can say legalistically, I was faultless. Like other than the stuff in my heart, like I kept those commands um, to a T. Uh, Paul says, um, you know, imagine now you, you meet Jesus. You don't just learn he's the Messiah. You meet him, um, the risen Christ. He says, I'm going to make you my messenger. What are you going to do? You're going to go back and you just study everything you can about Jesus. So I think Paul became a student of Christ. He quotes him multiple times. In fact, at one point, I can't remember what the quote is. He, um, I think it's, uh, it's more blessed to give than receive. He says in the words of our Lord, well, if I'm not mistaken, that's the passage where it's not actually in the red letter. It's not in any gospels that we have. Now that excites me. Right. Um, if that's the one I'm, I'm going off memory here, but if that's the verse where Paul's like, Hey, like our Lord said, I'm like, man, he had so much oral tradition from spending time with Barnabas, who, if you remember, Barnabas was his partner. Um, when they went to go, um, replace, uh, Judas, they replace him with Matthias and they say, we need someone who was with us from the beginning, right? When all this started. So Matthias was an early disciple. Well, it says the same about Barnabas, that Barnabas was also uh, an early disciple. So you, 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 kind of, you kind of look at that and go, wow, that, that's neat. There were these people that were there. So you could just imagine Paul and Barnabas when they first teamed up. Paul's like, tell me everything. Because the apostles didn't really give Paul much attention. He goes, I met them. They didn't add anything to me. That's what he literally says in Galatians. When I met them, they didn't add anything to me. You know, I, I had met with Jesus. I was studying the scripture. Um, they didn't add, but you can imagine that from Barnabas, because Barnabas is the guy who actually goes to the apostles and says, hey, let him in. This dude, I think it's legit. And Barnabas goes to him. This is, this is how much guts Barnabas has. When all the disciples are afraid, it's a trick. It's a trap. Um, Barnabas goes and finds Paul and says, 
And then it says he brings them. So they must have been like, Barnabas, you know, you jerk, what are you doing? He brings them where the apostles are and makes the introduction. So Barnabas, and he strike up a friendship. He's like, I totally believe you, dude, like on Bill and Ted. But um, anyways, so Jesus, I believe, and and if you're a good evangelical, you believe this. um, We're meant to hang on every word that Jesus spoke. Like literally Jesus says every heaven and earth, not one word uh, that I speak will pass away. Not one jot, one tittle will pass away. What I, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So his words were meant to be hung upon. And Paul did, of course. Yeah, that was his MO as a Pharisee. He held on the word of every, every, every jot and tittle of every word of the law, the Old Testament, because Jesus also said not a single jot or tittle of, of the Old Testament pass away. Then he equates that with his own words. Um, but uh, and, and Jesus even said, funny enough, uh, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. And I think Paul, when he says, I was like a wise mess builder, I think Paul was using everything Jesus said. And he was also applying the gospel principles that he learned about Jesus. Like, like it is more blessed to give than receive. When he fundraises, he applies the words of Jesus to what he's doing. I know it doesn't sound like rocket science, but I think we, like I said, we don't make these connections that Paul didn't just make crap up right? He was informed by the Old Testament on his church planning. He's informed by the New Testament. I I would say, I I guess I have a hermeneutic filter for church planning, where when I see like a Nelson Searcy, not to pick on him or anything, I mean, I don't even know where that guy is now, but he would come out with these things. I would weigh them. I I would look at him and think, is that true of what I know of God? Is that true of what I know about the working of the Holy Spirit in different parts of the world? throughout church history, or is some of this marketing manipulation, is it this, is it that? And I'm not going to tell you where I landed, you know, on any of that, but, um, but I, it doesn't matter who it is. I, and I hope you guys do that for me. That, re-say that thing over again, because I really think that's a key, a key way to evaluate a lot of the, uh, <clears throat> to use a Keith Green line, the Jesus junk. You know. Yeah, no, I was just saying that that I I have a hermeneutic filter for all church planning stuff I hear, which is, does it violate what these kingdom principles that I already know about God? Um, does it, and I mentioned that in Church Zero, funny enough, I mentioned that there are kingdom principles that we're not operating. I have a whole section about that, all these kingdom principles. You know, I talk about, you know, the traffic cop pulling you over and going, you violated this and you violated that and you violated that. And that's what Paul, when he's writing the pastoral epistles, he's writing and applying kingdom principles for the benefit of Timothy saying, Timothy, here's a print, here's a kingdom principle, right? And he throws them down like, man doesn't work, he doesn't eat, right? Well, you know, for Paul, he's going back to man was mandated to work for six days and to rest on that, like, Paul doesn't just, oh, that guy's a bum or get off welfare. He's not waxing political. Paul's going back to the creation mandate that we were made to work. And in working, we were to have joys before the fall. But in that, we would glorify God and we would like God mirror him and produce, right? The whole key Hebrew word in Genesis 1 and 2 is produce. And the earth produced according to its kind. It produced, it produced. So man is given a, a work mandate to produce. So I guess what I'm saying, I'm not repeating what, what I said very effectively, but I'm going, I'm maybe embellishing it to say 
Paul had kingdom principles. Everything came back to his kingdom principles. And if you start reading Paul very carefully, you start seeing it. It just comes to reading the gospels and Paul, you start seeing, Oh my gosh, he's talking about that there, or he's making a connection that I didn't see before. So Paul applies kingdom principles to his epistles. He's not just, you know, I, Paul just think that, and there are times where Paul goes, you know, I, Paul, not the Lord say, right. Hey, if you, and he makes it any, and he gives you his argument. He goes like, if you want to stay single, you'll just be able to do the stuff I do. Right. Those of you that get married, you got to please God and your wife. You can't just run off and preach all night and have people fall asleep and fall out of windows and just hop on boats, planes, trains, and automobiles and be a globetrotter because you have a family. You can't do that. But there will be benefits to that. But Paul gives you the whole argument. But he says, I, Paul, not the, not the Lord. He gives you a, a principle, but he tells you this is not a kingdom principle. This is a missionary principle, if I'm to put my paraphrase on it. Right? Does that make sense? Yep. But, um, but even in saying that, where he goes, hey, um, you have to please your wife and the Lord, even that's a kingdom principle, right? That, that you are now one with someone else. You're not free. So I always tell church planners who maybe read about Wesley and these others, like, Wesley had a terrible marriage. Um, he just did. He's my hero. Um, but he had, he, <laughs> you, you can't, I can't go be John Wesley because I'm married and um, John Wesley pretty much left his wife at home. They did not have a good marriage. Um, When she died, (laughs) he said some not very nice things. You know, you normally you're busted up and broken about your wife. I mean, he said some not nice things when she died. Um, They, they hardly ever saw each other. And uh, there was a a famous example of her um, in the early days, um, pulling him out of the pulpit, because he had long hair, pulling him out by his hair, trying to drag him out of the pulpit while he's preaching. And, and, and so I don't think that's God's uh, model for us. And I think, you know, you go back and you look at Paul and Paul's like, hey, hey, look, you got you to gotta be at home with your wife. You got to, I, I coached some planners the other night with Kirk Overstreet. He was doing something with Gateway Seminary. And I, he said, hey, you come and uh, chat with these guys. And I asked, what would your day look like if, if Paul came and shadowed you as a church planner. Um, how would it be different? And how would, um, you know, and at first I said, if he shadowed you the first day, what do you think he would debrief with you on at the end of it? What do you think he'd say? Um, do you think you'd be like, Hey, Paul, it's time to clock off. And he'd be like, I didn't think you started, <laughs> you know? And then the second day when Paul goes, okay, now you're going to shadow me. I asked him, how would that day be different than the first? You know, first off, what would Paul say at the beginning? Um, and then the second is, how would your day be different? Uh, what do you think Paul would have you do in your context? Now, that's a tough question to ask, right? Um, so, um, but one of, the, one of the guys, when he answered that question, he said, well, this probably is not... Um, this probably is not the answer you're looking for. And I was really proud of this guy because he goes, but I think with COVID and everything going on, I might stay at home a little more with my family and minister to my family. And I was really proud of him. I, I just listened to him and I, I mentioned that passage. And I just said, dude, I think Paul would agree. 
Paul didn't expect everybody to be like him. He said, you can't be like me. I wish that you were all like me, but you can't be because you're married. We don't hear that enough. That God's not going, hey, you disappointment. Why are you not doing what Paul did all day, every day? You're like, I'm married. You know, um, I've got kids. Um, That's it. I'm getting rid of the wife and kids. <laughs> Hey, you keep working out, man. You just you'd be like, uh, too sexy for my marriage. Too sexy Dude, for that my song came on this morning when I was working out. I was like, Yeah, oh. I like it. This is good. Did you go, Jamie? Jamie, come here. Because that would have been rad. Oh, dude. I'm constantly, you know those pictures like I send you where I'm like flexing and stuff. Dude, I'm always like, hey, hun, look at this. Look at this. Oh, huh? look. So funny. So rad. All right. So. Woo. Okay. So um, keep in mind, and I'm looking at the clock here, keep in mind that when um, we never have this much time, normally we do 40 minutes of smack talk and then 20 minutes of, of, of church planning. So I, I feel so spoiled right now, Pete. Well, you know, I figured after last week's episode where it was basically like, why is Pete even on the podcast? Cause it's sermon time with Peyton. I just figured I'd help you and just let you get into it earlier this time. They were pretty bad last week. That I was, was like, one of our worst ones. We're, we're back in seminary. All right. It's lecture time. I did. You know, keep in mind, I just wrote a textbook. So I'm, uh, well that it's like, we hadn't done a podcast in three weeks, so you had all this pent up angst that you said. I did, out. I did. I'd find myself in the redwoods forest, going, "Really wish I had my Pete, so I could talk about church planning." But you know, I had withdrawals. I'm Everyone not, needs know. a friend like me. Staring deep into the into the campfire at night with s'mores dripping down my beard, thinking, I "Need to talk to Pete." I'm I'm like uh, I'm like the. Uh, <laughs> The genie. Everyone needs a friend like me. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Okay, I'll never watch that movie the same. That's One it. of these days, you should paint yourself blue when we come on here. Well, never mind. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> so, Paul, you know, he uses ample ex- examples from Jesus, right? Showing that Jesus was the master builder. So, he says, like a wise and master builder. Christ is the one who builds his church. And, and what Paul's saying, he's not saying I'm the wise and master builder. He knows that the builder and architect is God. He says that later. God is the architect. And um, But he, he quotes from uh, the sending of the 12. He says in the same way, in 1 Corinthians 9, later on in the book, he quotes Jesus again. He says, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Now, we never hear that quoted, right? Like you and I, we, we train guys Bible because that's the hard reality. Right. Now, Paul is saying that as a guy who's not making his living from the gospel at the time that he's writing. And he says, I, I worked with my hands, so I would not be a burden to the church. Well, of course, he builds that tent-making empire that you and I have talked so much about and trained guys, but I should say you trained them. But but it's amazing to me that G- Paul just, not amazing, but I, I just geek out on it so much that Paul quotes Jesus saying, and, and saying that, you know, and, he, and Paul, uh, Jesus said the worker is worthy of his wage. Like 
Jesus said it first, then Paul amplifies it in um, uh, 1 Timothy. But here we see another uh, thing about it. And he's referring, of course, to Luke chapter 10, verse 7, where Jesus says, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. So, um, so between, you know, Paul would have had his eyewitness accounts that he would have gotten from people. Man, you got construction work going on. You got the train. Your house is... And I have no soundproofing, and I am literally like 20 feet from the track right here. Like, it was so bad the other day um, when I was doing that gateway lecture. Um, I was sitting there like, I'm talking in my study, and the freight train goes by because it was at night, and it was two minutes long. And um, I wished I had said, oh, where was I? I lost my train of thought. That would have been a great dad joke, but I, I missed that opportunity. <laughs> So anyways, um, so Paul, you know, he has 11 to 12 years for his, um, you know, before he really gets started. So you can imagine like Paul's in Tarsus. That was a, that was the richest city in the Galatian region. So uh, people forget that when, when Paul's going to, you know, when Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary, they go home. Paul's from uh, Cyprus. So they go there. Then Paul's from Galatia. So they go there. But what happens, they, Paul lives in Antioch. Like, that's home for him. So he, he's not there. He goes back to Antioch, mission station. But Paul, when he was there during those 12 years, you can imagine, because Tarsus was a, a prosperous market city. It's why Paul was a tent maker. His family was rich. Um, he, he could have, during that time, met so many people that were eyewitnesses to Jesus. And, of course, he's preaching the gospel. And he's getting the snot beat out of him left and right. Um, we know that scholars tell us that his um, 40 lashes minus one would have only happened. Like that didn't happen in Jerusalem. That happened early on in his ministry by the time he's writing. And what happened during those 11, 12 years? So Paul wasn't quietly just mending, you know, tents together. Paul was preaching during that time. He just hadn't had the door open to the Gentiles yet for 11 to 12 years. But he was preaching to his own people. So... Um, during, during that time, um, Paul absorbed all that he could. And you can, you can imagine too, remember that we're, we're told in Acts 8, 3, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them to prison. Imagine he's, he's, uh, I don't think we ever think about this. The apostle Paul is interviewing these people. He's questioning them. He's locking them up. He's lecturing them. He's yelling at them. He's screaming at them. How could you betray the, the faith handed down from the father. You can imagine he's just, he's going off on him. He's getting ready to kill him. And you can imagine they're testifying beautifully to him. Like Stephen, when, when Stephen dies, it says Paul was standing there giving assent. Paul was the authority. But Paul, after that, goes into a tailspin. That's where it says, from then on, Paul breathed out vehement threats against the church, throwing them at, you know, this is it. Acts 8, 3. Immediately, that passage is after his death. So you know that Paul is hearing people witness. Like there's a boldness in the church. It says that the church was emboldened by Stephen. So they're bold. They're given this incredible spirit-filled testimony. Miracles are still happening. And so when Jesus appears in the next chapter, he says, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul is tormented, Right. He, he is hearing something. He's hearing the truth. It's making him mad because he can't reconcile, but he can't escape 
this beautiful witness that's coming from these followers of Jesus that were eyewitnesses. I would imagine that the more he asked about Jesus, you know, like the more it was, it was getting to him. But then Barnabas, like we mentioned before, and then lastly, uh, it would have been the gospel fragments. So Paul would have had gospel fragments that, um, you know, he would have gotten. So, um, you know, those are being circulated around. There's there's a bunch of hypotheses about the gospel fragments. Any questions at this point? Uh, what's a gospel fragment? Well, so there were, um, it, it's, you know, we have the synoptic gospels, um, you know, scholars reckon that probably Mark was written first, but there seems to be other writings, other gospel fragments, like writings that were circulating that informed the gospel writer. So like Mark was an eyewitness. He wasn't one of the 12. Obviously Luke wrote them, wrote his gospel much later. John totally deviates course, but between Mark and Luke who were not up close, I mean, Mark, Mark's up close, it seems, a little bit later. It's the first time he's mentioned, but maybe he was there from the beginning. We don't know. But Mark and Luke um, are not, they're not there in many of those intimate conversations that happen. So they're getting their information secondhand. Obviously, they had access to the 12. But the gospel fragment hypothesis is that there were other writings that were used as source material for the gospels as we know them, Right. Um, it used to be that people thought, oh, you're totally liberal if you believe that. Um, evangelical scholars say, hey, maybe. I mean, who cares? Who knows? Right? Like, it doesn't matter. There are tons of writings that, like, for example, First, Second Chronicles, um, are these things not written in the annals of the kings of Judah? Um, First, Second Chronicles tells you that, that those books were written um, drawing from other sources, but the Holy Spirit inspired them in what they were actually writing. So First Second Chronicles accomplishes something different than First Second Kings, um, and it's as the Spirit led them and breathed into them or through them. So same with the Gospels. But um, Paul would have had some of these Gospel fragments, undoubtedly, right? Um, so that would have informed as well. Well, what did Paul learn in our next few minutes from Jesus? Well, one of them is he learned his missionary stance from Jesus. Jesus was a sent one. Um, he said, I have been sent here by the Father. Everything that Jesus said was that he was a missionary. Plus, he told Paul that he would be sent. Um, when Jesus came, he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you look at Jesus' appearing to Paul, what he tells him he's going to do, he tells him that's what you're going to do to the Gentiles. He literally takes almost word for word what he read from Isaiah's scroll and applies it to Paul. So Paul's like, okay. You know, I, so Paul began to look at Jesus as the model as a missionary. That's where Paul learned because in, in, it's not that there was no such thing as Jewish proselytizers, but it kind of, it was kind of like a weird anomaly. Like it wasn't really the thing. And so Jesus models apostleship or a sent one for Paul. So when Paul, um, you know, uh, sees his own ministry, sees it as a, a continuation and an echo of Jesus's ministry to be a sent one. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Um, Paul, even as a missionary, his whole theology and philosophy of suffering as a church planner, a missionary is um, when he said, uh, Jesus said the son of man must suffer many things. Of course, speaking about the cross, um, 
But Paul later uses Isaiah speaking of Jesus' sufferings, and he and he says, That's a, that's me. You know, we die daily. We are given like lambs, as sheep to the slaughter. Um, I fill up in my body was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Paul equates it, you're gonna be on mission, you're gonna suffer. And he learned that from Jesus, right? Um, even Jesus said, Hey, they persecuted me, I persecute you. <laughs> you're you're not one lick on what I am. Jesus isn't a punk about it, he doesn't say that, but that's what he's implying. He goes, if they if they, you know mistreated the master of course they're going to mistreat his servants so we, we we kind of we miss maybe paul's connection that hey i'm taking that very much to heart i cannot be a missionary of christ and not get just absolutely wrecked at times if i'm going to be on mission and that's something that i think is hard in american christianity for people especially when being a pastor is such a cushy job that being church planner being a church planner is such a hard job and you only have to read Paul's letters to go, oh, okay. So Paul's like, we're the off-scaring of all things. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been this. And he goes, you know, we're, we're <laughs> you know, you're kings, you know, and, and we're paupers. You know, he's, he's kind of mocking the Corinthians. They are very much living in the lap of luxury, and they're not suffering. And, but they're criticizing Paul because he's suffering. And Paul's like, man, how I wish you were kings. You know, how I, because the king of kings, that, that's kind of what Paul's implying there's the king of kings was a suffering servant. And and how I wish you understood this, how I wish you got this. And and they did it. Um, uh, Jesus's gospel proclamation. Uh, Pharisees, I mean, uh, Pharisees and rabbis did not go around preaching like Jesus did. When it says Jesus went around preaching the gospel, the good news, proclaiming like John the Baptist, that was rare. I mean, the only people that did that stuff were the prophets, and they usually ended up dead. So, um, so just that nature of what he was doing, Paul sees himself uh, as, again, proclaiming Jesus, um, very much uh, doing that. He also learned to target his mission. So when um, Jesus focuses his ministry, uh, during his earthly ministry, um, many people don't realize that Jesus focused on Galilee. That was his mission field. He didn't go to all of Israel and focus on the same. He spent the bulk of his ministry focused on a region that had about 200,000 people in it. So uh, Matthew reports he went through all the cities and villages in Galilee. He didn't go to all the cities and villages in Israel. He focused on his itinerant ministry on the gospel. And, I, you know, there's a lot of proof texting for that quite a bit, actually, that, that shows his ministry was there. Um, and then he takes them, and he, he didn't go. Um, he told them not to go. When they went on mission, he goes, don't go to uh, the Gentiles, and don't go to any towns of the Samaritans. Um, and then he, he starts denouncing. Remember when he gives his, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Chorazon, for if the miracles are... It's because Jesus did a circuit through Judea, I mean, uh, through Galilee, and then he has his... Um, Apostles, his disciples, he sends them out twice. And then he gives the woes in Jerusalem that, look, I saturated you. I saturated you with the gospel. And had those miracles been done, the preaching, all of that, um, you know, meanwhile, prostitutes, tax collectors, they're all responding. But um, anyways, 
there's a lot more to talk about this, his base of operations. Jesus had his base of operations in Capernaum. Um, Paul says, sets his up in Antioch and then um, later Corinth and then later, later Ephesus. Paul starts developing a hub, kind of like Jesus did. Um, Paul gets his team-based ministry um, based on Jesus. First thing Jesus does after his um, baptism is he prays all night. Uh, when he comes back from the temptation, he prays all night, and he selects 12, a team of 12. So Paul starts realizing, okay, if I'm going to be a missionary like Jesus, I need to pick a team, and I need to do team-based planning, which if you haven't read Church Zero, cha-ching, that's what it was. Um, Jesus forms a network. Paul forms six networks during you know the, the Macedonian network, the Ephesus network, the, um, the network, 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 the Antioch network, there's um, the Cypriot network. He forms a bunch of networks. Um, finding the man of peace, you see Jesus, uh, Jesus tells us 12 to do that. Paul does that. Um, his discipleship model, very much like a rabbi, Paul becomes that to his people. Of course, that was second nature to Paul. And then um, taking people with you on mission to um, do field training with them. Based on Matthew 10, Paul, Paul literally, and, and again, we don't give enough credence to this. Paul literally takes Matthew 10 and puts it into practice on his mission. And, you know, that's something when my textbook comes out, um, Pete, you and I were sitting with, um, we we're in a talk by Rick Warren, if you remember all those years ago. Um, and as we were sitting in that talk, Rick Warren goes, is there any mission organization out there that actually puts Matthew 10? into practice. And he goes, we, we can't find it. And it, it was, it was just something that always stuck with me that he said that I thought was brilliant. Um, and I had never thought about that. And so when, when I'm building all the training for new breed, um, the network I run that that's all hardwired into the training. So in the textbook, you'll see, uh, Matthew 10, very prevalent. Um, but Paul, you can trace, and that's one of the things I do. I do my homework. I trace that Paul followed Matthew 10. If, if, if there's anything in my, in my book that I'm really proud of, it's, it's that that is outlined in the book um, very carefully. And I, I, that's one contribution I really like to make to the world of church planning. Again, is to, to follow this thread through the Old Testament, through the, through the Gospels, and into uh, the Gentile age. So... But that's, I mean, there's more, but we're out of time. So I think that's well, all I can say about that. You know, while you're doing all this uh, <laughs> Paulian work, <laughs> how, how do you deal with all your IRS compliancy, uh, payroll, workers comp, website development? How do you do all of that? Well, taking a page from what we've been talking about today, Pete, um, I usually have one of my interns go down with a fishing line into the river and I tell them, go ahead and fish and see if a tax return comes back and maybe some gold to pay our taxes. And uh, that's how it works. That's how and it works if it doesn't, and Peter. if it doesn't, we well, run. well, if it doesn't, uh, yeah, going back to when I told Andrea in, in, in the Bahamas, run when the security guard was coming and I ran and she didn't. That's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. But we were talking about that with Chris Langham the other night that, uh, yeah, that, that was embarrassing. When I came back and the security guard who was easily topping 300 pounds, just laughed, shook his head. But, uh, it was a little embarrassing to come back to him after I tried to run from him. my wife frozen place. 
But uh, anyways, my wife got falsely accused of breaking something in a curio shop. So anyways, um, yeah, so it, when that doesn't work, Pete, I call Simplified Church. And they're at SimplifiedChurch.com. SimplifiedChurch.com, Pete. They'll simplify your church, and they'll take care of all your accounting needs, your tax compliance issues, you name it. They even have robots. Isn't there a guy, man, what's his name, Josh Henry at SimplifiedChurch.com? Yeah, he outworks machines. He is a machine. He's a Terminator. Isn't it Josh Henry? Wasn't that the old, uh, was it Josh Henry? No, No. John Henry. John Henry. Oh, yeah, no. Not Josh. Yeah, I was going there, but it fell flat. But tell Josh Henry that Peyton and Pete sent you. And uh, guys, thanks for joining us today. I'm sorry this, well, I'm not sorry it waxed more biblical, theological. Hopefully you're enjoying this and you're seeing, because if, if nothing else, man, I, I want some of you guys just to think about church planning perhaps a little differently um, than you normally do. Um, you know, again, and that you develop a hermeneutical filter. I don't think, and, and this is kind of where this comes from, I don't think God left us as derelict as we sometimes believe. I don't believe that God left us without the guidance um, in church planning. We act like it's rocket science to church plant. If you know your scriptures, you know your Bible, and I know, gosh, I, I, I sound like such a fundamentalist, but when you know it, you, you, you have the foundation to, to interpret a lot of the info that comes at you. If you know church history, even better. Right. If you know some theology, good stuff. Right. Like you, you, you know how to process some of the stuff to know, OK, there's danger there. If I take that and that becomes my operating principle, I'm going to eventually get into trouble. When Paul says I, 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 um, I built like a wise and master builder, that then equally, therefore, means that there is a foolish and unwise builder or a way to build. And if that's the case, and Jesus said, he who takes my words and puts them into practice like a wise man who builds a, a, his house on a rock. I want to be that kind of planner. I don't want to be the guy that builds it on sand, which is every passing fad of, you know, leadership this or leadership that. Um, those principles might be great and it might be biblical, but I have to know that, mm. right, before I start building my entire church upon them. So anyways, um, guys, thanks so much for Join us today. I've, I've certainly had fun. And as Pete and I always say, if we've just amused ourselves today, then uh, we've done a good thing. I didn't tell you earlier, but I really like your shirt. You like this? Yeah. You know, I don't wear this one, too. It's one of my workout shirts, actually. So, Which way to the weight room? <laughs> Which yeah, way to the weight I room? I can't be you. Ooh, I can't. Look at my muscles. No good. But it's see, you, you got the cool tattoo. And that's I all do. that really I counts. do. It makes my muscles look bigger. Is that why you get tattoos? Make sure muscles. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I want the little. Remember on Popeye, whenever they show tattoos and a guy flex and like the battleship would fire. Oh yeah, remember can those I, on can the I cartoons? Get that? Oh, you got to get the battleship guns right there. And when you flex, remember always on like Warner Brothers cartoons, they flex their muscle and it would like like the hula girl would dance or the 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 battleship would start firing. I'm not gonna get a hula girl. But no the battleship. Do I like the oh, battleship. Battleship with the big guns, and then when you flex, it's got to go boom, boom. Be great. <laughs> I love it. Ah, uh, cartoons, and we thought that was all possible back then. Hey, flexes and the guns fire. So, uh, hey, all right, guys. Well, thanks for joining. On that note, Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you: if you want to reach ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do 
what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music